Good afternoon and welcome to Keys to Creating, Maintaining and Drilling a Ransomware Incident Response Plan, a health system CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by CyberMDX. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box, and we'll take them later in the program. Nice way to view the screen. Click on the top center, get it in side-by-side mode. Then you can adjust the divider to get the slides in the video boxes the size you want them. And it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Aaron Meary, SVP and Chief Digital and Information Officer with Baptist Health, Pat Voon, Executive Director of IS Security and CISO with Loma Linda University Health, and Moti Sarani, CTO with CyberMDX. So let's get right into it. Lots of good stuff to talk about. Um, Aaron, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Absolutely, Anthony. Great seeing you again, my friend, Kate. Hello again, and hello to all of you. Aaron Meary, Senior Vice President, Chief Digital Information Officer at Baptist Health of Northeast Florida. Uh, we are a 13,000 employee uh, organization, multiple hospitals, children's hospitals, adult, multiple ambulatory clinics, and dozens and dozens and dozens of primary care clinics going across all of Northern Florida and Southern Florida, one of the most well-respected and anchored institutions in all of Northern Florida, uh, serving Jacksonville and the surrounding markets. Um, to the degree of it, uh, my IT team is, is fairly large. We do multiple, multiple dimensions on both pediatric and adult services and support, including electronic medical records, cybersecurity, and other systems. And I'm honored to be part of this team. I've been with them now almost three months, and uh, what a journey it's been. I look forward to talking about it. Excellent. Thank you, Aaron. Pat? Hi, everybody. Um, good morning, or maybe it's afternoon where you're at, but um, happy to, to join this uh, conversation here. Uh, Loma Linda University Health is an academic medical center located in Southern California, just uh, east of LA. Um, very uh, similar footprint, sounds like uh, Aaron uh, with Baptist, uh, about 15,000 uh, employees, uh, 5,000 students, uh, on the academic side, uh, multiple hospitals, children and adults. And um, we were actually a pioneer in um, a heart transplant, um, the first to perform uh, transplanting a monkey's heart to a baby. So <laughs> wow. if, uh, wow. many, many years ago that we were in the news for that, uh, a bit of controversy, controversy too, of course, right? <laughs> but, yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, I'm the chief infosec uh, officer, uh, the very first, joined them about uh, five years ago now. So uh, helping them on the journey to build uh, a solid uh, cybersecurity program there. Excellent. Thank you, Pat. Moti? Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining. I'm uh, Moti Sorani, the chief technology officer of CyberMDX. CyberMDX is a healthcare security company. We provide hospitals with a uh, security solution for all the connected assets, especially the unmanaged ones, the connected medical devices, and the, the internet of uh, things that take part in uh, clinical workflows. I'm excited to be here and looking forward to an insightful uh, conversation. All right, very good. Um, Patrick, we're going to start with you. To what degree has ransomware elevated the importance of having a robust security program in place? What has it done to security budgets and support from the C-suite and board 
for security spending? Yeah, so I am actually very fortunate um, to, in a sense, go into Loma Linda five years ago and start up uh, uh, InfoSec program uh, in Greenfield, right, basically. Um, and so there was a lot of uh, solid support from senior leadership, as well as the board level. In fact, one medical director stood up and said, we cannot spend enough on cybersecurity. Boy, that was like, I, I, I want to work here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That kind of support is, is real hard, right? But the reality is this, um, we have uh, budget constraints, uh, obviously, um, worsened by the pandemic, right? So now it's a matter of really prioritizing. Um, but I'll, I'll say that we do what needs to get done and I do get excellent senior leadership support uh, all the way up to the board um, and very fortunate. I, I think not many um, companies or organizations will, will have that um, kind of support. Um, I'm, I'm not sure uh, about uh, you know, uh, Aaron at, at Baptist, I know he's only been there three months, but maybe in, in his past experience, uh, he can share something uh, about that. But one of the things I, I did was when I built my three-year roadmap and I showed the capabilities that uh, we, we are working on, our journey, I actually highlighted every single workflow to indicate whether it's uh, going to address ransomware. Because back then, that's well, still in the news, <laughs> ransomware. But back then, it was like two or three hospitals down the road from us were actually hit, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was front and center uh, for senior management and the board. And so it was important for them to see that what we're doing actually directly or indirectly uh, impacts uh, reducing uh, ransomware risk. So yeah, it's definitely elevated. <laughs> So you're almost structuring your presentation around that. Like you said, mapping all the things you're doing back to ransomware because they are so aware of it and its importance. Correct? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Aaron, your thoughts? Absolutely. So has ransomware elevated it? I absolutely believe it has. It's also made it a conversation point about risk and risk management. Let me give you an example. So we're in the process of opening up a brand new state-of-the-art critical care tower for Wolfson's Children's Hospital, opens up in January, all digital, state-of-the-art. We're going live with a major electronic medical record conversion next July. We're opening up our new Clay Hospital in December of next year. So if you think about things like ransomware, uh, oftentimes that hits you at a point of maximum risk exposure, which is a moment of change. So one of the first things I was do, I've been doing is going through and looking at for points of change of all these systems and infrastructure and people changing roles, things happening. How could ransomware get in via email, via USB stick, via FTP? What is it? And going through systematically and saying, what are the layers and defense and depth strategies to protect us? The other thing that's interesting is that our board is incredibly engaged on it comes to a cyber perspective. We have a phenomenal audit committee of the board that's asking detailed questions. Show me your spend, show me the tools. Show me your stack, show me and improve as an example. I said this in, a, in another interview, it was day five of my employment and the board asked for a full update on cybersecurity. I'm like, that's great, bring mm. it. Because if that's a conversation now where we can have these discussions and talk about, you know, sort of the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, and they wanna help and they wanna be involved, absolutely. You can only go up from there. 
The next thing I noticed is that we also didn't have a formal uh, chief information security officer role. So that was one of my first asks. I need to recruit a seasoned leader. So I did, and that person starts here in a couple of weeks. So as we look at it, you know, I was I was very encouraged by the organization's already posture on it, doing those red team, blue team exercises, doing phishing exercises on a monthly and unannounced basis to see what is our preponderance of people clicking the link, think that they won $10 million from somewhere in <laughs> Southern Africa. You know, those kinds of things are important to understand what is your risk exposure, then having transparent conversations. Last but not least is how do we talk about it with the business? How does the business know what are the risks? Just yesterday, I was sending a note to some key leaders across the organization going, hey, we've noticed that you were being unusually attacked or attempted attacks on you via email. We can see the high uptick of folks trying to send you payloads that are malicious, whether it be ransomware, whether it be other things, uh, you know, key loggers, whatever else. And it's important to get awareness out there. And I had one leader write back, go, gosh, lucky me. Let me know how I can help you, right? I, I don't know why I'm being attacked. Well, it's because of social media. It's because of LinkedIn. People see your role and think, gosh, you're in payroll services. If I get you, I get access to the crown jewels. I can send myself money because you're a large health system. That's the reality we live in. So it's not just ransomware that's going to take out your organization and put you in lockdown and suddenly you're unable to deliver care. That's terrible. That's a black swan event. But it's also to the point where it's just enough pinpoints and pinpokes that it affects you in the long run as well. Let me ask you about, you mentioned points of change as creating exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked about roles, people changing roles. We know with COVID, that was a huge thing. Yeah. Um, and identity management is a big thing. Also, we've heard that with the spear phishing that you mentioned, that targeted spear phishing, that can occur a lot during you know, a type of construction you mentioned, because there's a number of vendors involved. And so there's a great opportunity for those type of impersonation scams, because there's so many vendors involved. Uh, Your thoughts around that? You're absolutely right. And that's exactly what we are trying to manage against. As I've explained to our board, and I've I've said this multiple times before, there is no 100% perfect solution. But we're going to do as good of a job as we absolutely can be as transparent as possible. And then knock on wood, if there is some unfortunate event, we're going to have a phenomenal mitigation and containment strategy. So that's exactly how we've defined our defense and depth strategy. We're mapping and we've mapped where the critical data lies and who the critical roles are, who has elevated rights and who doesn't. If you're able to spearfish somebody that has no access to anything and they don't even have local administrative rights, it's a, it's a terrible incident, but it's probably not going to result in some sort of breach or some sort of major event. So do we actually know what the key users are doing across the organization? Do we know what systems are going on where? And do we have a plan of, of mitigation for each of those events? That's why risk assessments are important. That's why having GRC is important to do, to do proactive and reactive me- measurement. That's why having transparency and metrics available to your board and to your executive team is important. And that's why having a CEO that's 1,000% behind you, behind IT and behind cybersecurity is critical because you're going to have to make decisions on the fly. You're going to have to say, you know what? I know that we're going to go live on this day where something is going on here. We're going to pause and wait because the risk is too great. You've got to have those conversations to where everybody understands that and is all in on managing risk. Very good. Malti, your thoughts? Well, I think that we all agree that uh, ransomware threat landscape has evolved significantly in the last couple of years. The number of attacks is rising. The impact to care delivery is significant. But it goes even beyond that. We see more and more threat actors take a double extortion approach where data is exfiltrated before files are encrypted, saying they will uh, release the sensitive data if uh, the ransom is not paid. Uh, 
So now the attack is becoming also a data privacy compliance issue. And this is, uh, again, adding on top of the care delivery uh, disruption. So I can say that due to all these and the huge damages that were reported in several incidents, ransomware has definitely elevated the awareness to cybersecurity and the importance of having a proper cybersecurity in place. Uh, there's no question on that. And it's at every level of the management and stuff. Um, we recently partnered with uh, Philips to commission Ipsos for some research, and the, the results were very interesting. On one hand, the cyber concerns uh, are extremely high among those being surveyed, and also with respect to their opinions of their C-suite leaders. Uh, for example, 80% of the biomed and the IT security teams told us that C-suite would rate medical device shutdowns as extremely concerning. Um, in alignment with that, we can say that um, there is more and more demand in our product for uh, C-level dashboards with the aim to expose them to the enterprise uh, risk posture, trends, and gaps. So level of, of concern and awareness to the problem are high, which is good. However, um, getting back to that research that I mentioned, when asked about cybersecurity spend, only 11% rated it as the highest priority level versus all other IT spend. And they also told us that they don't feel um, much prepared uh, for a ransomware attack or in control with even vulnerabilities such as BlueKeep or internal Blue that have been around for uh, between two to four years by now. Um, so I'd say that the this with know and feel it's very important, yet the actions and the budget certainly have catch up to do, at least from a wide point of view uh, that provided by the research. Uh, well, that's an interesting point. Um, Pat, let me go to you. I, I hear most CISOs these days saying that they have full support and, and that money isn't really a big problem in terms of uh, getting, getting the spending that they need. But Moti is saying that he's, his uh, survey is showing something different, that Maybe there's talk of support, but it doesn't seem to be getting the budgetary consideration. What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said before, you know, the medical medical director stood up and said, we can't invest enough in cybersecurity. But then there's the reality, right? Hmm. Um, uh, I mean, you know, revenues are down. Uh, we're a nonprofit organization. So, you know, our margins and even in the healthcare industry, our margins are extremely, extremely narrow, right? So, so we, that's the reality. And as Aaron mentioned, the conversation really comes down to risk management, right? And um, what does the business truly need uh, to uh, deploy in a sense to operate and, and be successful? And we also have to consider uh, innovative ways, right? To support the business um, and a lot of times that can also help uh, come into the conversation with them to help them understand that, well, you know what, we are really missing these capabilities that need, we need in order for you to be able to operate successfully, well, securely, uh, you know, coming from, from my world, uh, that's what we always want to um, attain, right, and, and advise them on is... Um, yeah, if, if you don't spend this uh, much um, uh, investment, um, you know, the trade-off is here's how much it might cost uh, if we, you get 
reached, right? So to Modi's point, and you know, it's not just the fines perhaps from, from HIPAA, but also um, the cause of any sort of litigations or, or legal actions that people are gonna take against uh, your, your organization, right? So my conversation with them has always been, are we doing at least um, what the courts would consider as due mm -hmm. diligence uh, in like organizations, right? So the things that we do need to be defensible um, and, and we need to be able to justify uh, the, the spend so that we don't get ourselves in, um, in hot water, so to speak. You know, you know, Anthony. Let me let me jump in here for a second because I think I think Pat's right on. But there's also another dimension that folks listening can take, which is shift your existing spend to products that you know take security seriously. Right. Look at the recent bulletin that went out by HISAC this week about the number of of I'll mention one one major vendor that starts with a P that develops medical devices that has multiple vulnerabilities uh, in it that they that they sent out that you go patch the operating system. Right. Are these people disclosing vulnerabilities? This company is, so good kudos to them. Uh, I don't want to talk about any vendor on your show, but to the degree of it, look for the vendors that you're buying gear from and make sure that they're serious and put your money where your mouth is. So while I realize that not everybody can say, look, I have margins to support increasing cybersecurity spend to buy these fancy new tools, to try to be able to build a defense in depth strategy, you know, immediately versus over time. You're going to be buying MRI machines. You're going to be buying medical devices. You're going to be buying these systems to deliver care. You're in a hospital. You have to. There's no other way around it. So make sure you're putting money towards vendors that take it seriously. Are they giving you your SOC 2 type 2s and type 3s? Are they able to show you an audit of what they have in their system? Are they able to show you and partner with you to allow you to run your tools on them? Can you use Nessus, which is free and open source, to scan them, right? And scan their packages and payloads. If they're saying no to you or they give you the garbage, oh, FDA certification won't allow, which is all nonsense, then you may want to reconsider who you're buying from. And you may want to reconsider where your spend is. That's the bottom line. So I'm not saying go spend an army of money on net new product. I am saying reallocate existing spend to be the right spend. Well, Aaron, just a little bit to get into that a little bit. What's the dynamics on the ground when medical devices are being purchased? To what degree are the clinicians going to be driving the selection? And what can the role be for security come in? If the clinicians want product A and you're saying, well, product B is better from a security point of view, how's that going to play out? Yeah, so first is trust, right? Does a, does a clinician, physician, whomever trust you to have that crucial conversation upfront and honest and transparent? If you're honest and transparent with them and they say, listen, uh, surgeon, I know you want the latest XYZ uh, surgical, you know, whatever tool, medical <laughs> device, but there's a huge risk here to your patient and to you. And the liability of the organization is tremendous. Is that a risk you want to take? I don't think I've met a clinician in over 20 years now I've been in healthcare that ever has said, yeah, you know what? I don't care about my patient on the table. Put them at risk. I could care less. I don't think that even exists. And if it does, it's in some dark corner of the universe that we haven't seen it that much. So if you're talking in plain English with folks, I mean, I'm not saying go to them and say, this KB came out that I have to patch this system and it has this zero day exploit. They're going to look at you like, what are you talking about, man? Right. If you tell them that the patient's at risk, and you talk to them almost as if it's a quality issue. And this could, could be a near miss or sentinel event. 
if you go through it, and just as they do a surgical pause before they walk in the OR, this is the same kind of quality plan, do, check, act kind of methodology. And you're talking to them as a clinician. Now you have the ear of them to say, okay, look, you're telling me I'm putting my patient at risk. I'm not doing that to Aaron, patient Aaron. I'm not going to do that to him. He's on the table. Why would I do that? That's where it comes down to it. But for the IT departments out there that operate with a, you better do as I say, and I'm not going to explain myself to you. And, and you know, I'm above you, man, they ain't going to work. You're right. You're going to have that friction. But if you're collaborative and transparent and you're honest and you show your cards, okay, they, they won't push back. They'll partner with you. Moti, what are your thoughts? Well, I think that pre-procurement uh, pre uh, consideration of security is something that we is building up, uh, certainly. And I think it's one of the, the aspects that is considered no doubt. I totally agree with Aaron. And um, at the end of the day, um, you know, the decision might not be according to the, the security preference. And then the security, of course, need to be an enabler and allow the decision to, to operate and be as, as secure as possible. So that, that, that's what I think. And I, I totally agree with Aaron that something is changing here. And uh, considering security from the pre-procurement and certainly on the contracting is, is starting to grow up. All right, Malti, we're going to stick with you on this one. What are some best practices that will mitigate the risk imposed by malware like ransomware? You could take this wherever you want. You've got process and procedures, technical issues like tools and techniques, and employee education. Anywhere you want to take that from your point of view, what's the best advice you can give our listeners today? So I, I think it's, it's important to start uh, perhaps by saying that there is no one-size-fits-all Right, the hospitals differ by their size, the culture, the resources available, and so on. Yet, uh, of course, we can think of some common best practices or strategies to mitigate the risk of uh, ransomware. One way to look at it is along the kill chain. Attackers penetrate the network at the entry points, then they laterally move towards the places where they can maximize their impact. As first priority, these would be critical assets like the EMR system, other clinical applications, the PAC servers, and, and perhaps also the critical imaging devices. These would usually make the top targets. Of course, whenever they possess them, they will take everything that they can in addition. So having that in mind, um, a common strategy will be A, to reduce the likelihood of penetration in the first place, focusing on the entry points like the internet-facing services, the remote access systems, uh, the user endpoints, and the user themselves is the line of defense against the uh, spear phishing. B, to limit the potential um, lateral movement within the network. Using uh, zero-trust paradigms is, is common, is something that starts to, uh, to build, and the tools such as micro-segmentation and identity and access management with multi-factor authentication. And C, to secure the critical assets by all means, on device, on network, including making sure that you have online and offline backups for them. Now, I'm a bit simplifying things here for the sake of discussion. It's working on these three pillars, uh, I, I believe is the bread and butter. Reduce the likelihood of penetration, limit the potential lateral movement, and secure the critical assets. Now, to enable these, uh, you need to have Something fundamental, right, is good visibility. Uh, you typically want to map all your connected assets, then identify the critical ones. Uh, these critical assets could be managed 
but they could be also unmanaged. For example, the fleet of CT scanners or MRI systems. Uh, a good mapping will provide maximum context on, on the assets, like how critical they are to care delivery, how they are vulnerable, what security controls they run, uh, which third parties uh, remotely access uh, these systems, and, and so on. And this context is important uh, as it helps to identify gaps and also prioritize actions, what happens, of course, all the time because resources are limited. Um, I believe that um, when it comes to the critical assets, um, continuously patch, patching critical or, and or warmable vulnerabilities is imperative. You want to start with the ones that are more likely to be exploited or even already exploited in the wild. Um, and a good, another good practice would be to make sure that there is an EDR agent or some security agent um, is running on these assets uh, where, where it's applicable. And where it's not applicable, like for example, uh, some MRI systems, uh, you probably want to take a different approach to protect them from the network access um, perspective, having access policies that block or restrict the access, and hence reduce the likelihood that the asset will be uh, compromised. Uh, finally, uh, addressing the entry points, so the initial access vectors, um, one of the things that is important to, is to effectively and continuously monitor and manage uh, the external attack surface. Um, you'd be surprised uh, how many times we saw assets that expose SSH, RDP, SMB ports uh, to the internet. And, and this is something that you want to restrict or block, uh, at least restrict to the minimal uh, needed. And of course, patch VPN services that were uh, quite exploited along the, couple, the last couple of years and uh, have been uh, unfortunately a successful uh, initial vector for the threat actors. Um, at the end of the day, there are of course technologies that can help here and uh, multi-factor authentication can limit the threat actor ability to penetrate their network in the first place and certainly spread within it by taking user accounts. Um, phishing, spear phishing is, is a big issue here and training the employees to identify these uh, phishing in uh, suspected attachments and links is again imperative to block ransomware attacks before they evolve. And there are, of course, technologies that help here as well. And there are other strategies, and I uh, perhaps um, complete with that, uh, is that related to limiting the impact of an attack if it happens. Um, I believe we'll get into these later in this discussion. All right. Well, that was a good primer. That was a good stuff. Pat, Pat, did he miss anything? Any any comments on Moti's uh, overview? Thank you, Moti. That that was quite comprehensive. Um, one of the things uh, I'll just share that uh, I was able to do was in a single slide uh, show the board and senior leaders, right, kind of the flow, the kill chain, if you will. I didn't use that term because they'll they'll be wondering what what did you just say. So in their terms, basically just showing them how, you know, an attacker comes in, right? Like phishing email, and then when he comes in, uh, so I show all the points of vulnerability as well, a gateway, email gateway coming in, uh, the employees, right? And then you start identifying what we're doing. Here's what we're doing in each of these layers, right? And that's why we invested in EDR. That's why we invested in application whitelisting, uh, email uh, web gateway, uh, security awareness and training, 
you know, so that they understand that, hey, you are doing a lot of a lot of best practice stuff. So, so we are in a position where we can say we have done our due diligence, we're doing the best we can. And I'll give you an example. Um, we did not have EDR um, when I first uh, joined the Loma Linda five years ago. So Ch Chatham House rules, right? Please, <laughs> everything that's shared here stays here. Um, but I had to make a case uh, for that, right? And, and so that helps when you show that well, you, you can't have everything in there at the same time. Number one, we don't have the resources to support the implementation and to sustain it operationally. So you have to think about those things too, right? And, and be reasonable in what you can deploy, what you can implement and uh, support going forward. Um, so, but all these things, um, I like that the sub bullets you had where it says processes, procedures, technical employee, because it is all about people process and technology. It's not just about uh, the, the technology. So uh, th thanks for sharing, uh, uh, Modi, your, your perspectives. Absolutely agree with you. Very good, Aaron. Yeah, so let me give you a few horror stories. Let's have a little fun with this. So how does this work, <laughs> right? You open up a brand new med surge unit, you receive, uh, again, I'm gonna leave vendor names out of it, medication dispensing unit A, which is some major company that most of us have in our health system, usually one of two brands. Um, you plug it into the network, Suddenly your SIEM tool, all tools you have, EDR tools go crazy detecting something. You're like, what's going on here? What happened? Well, that medication dispensing cabinet runs Windows XP embedded and it has malware on it because the technician back at the factory before it got shrink wrapped had something wrong with their laptop that was infected too. And they actually has a keylogger on there or it has a worm. This happened to me multiple times. There's multiple articles out there on it. So your medical devices are coming from the factory infected whether you're, you're building a perimeter and a moat as well as you are, they're gonna walk into your hospital no matter what. Two, people throw USB keys in your garage knowing that some clinician nurse is gonna reach down and go, hey, look, a cool USB stick, what's on here? That is such a common threat vector. It's actually, you could test yourself this. There's freeware out there you can put on USB sticks, just stick them on your, on your parking deck. See who plugs them into the computer. And if, you don't, and if you don't have USB ports all plugged, which a lot of us do to some degree, but have to allow for some exemptions because of medical devices that plug into laptops, now you've just you've just brought in a worm to your environment. I don't care how good your email is. I don't care you know what kind of chasm you have blocking you and your and your applications out there and logging things in. It's the reality of it. So no matter what you do, exactly what Pat and, and Modi were saying is is very important. But it's something is going to happen. It is inevitable. So the question is, what is your response? Do you have a relationship with your local FBI field office? Do you have a relationship and you understand with compliance and the board and what the escalation processes are? Do you know from your insurance writers what the tenants are to activate your insurance uh, uh, plan in case you are hit by ransomware? Guess what? An insurance company is in it, yes, to help you, but they're also in it to make money. So if you don't follow the, the, the actual tenants of your policy exactly correct in the timeline specified, you're going to be denied coverage. And if you have a major RPO and RTO impact, right, that's that's return. That's basically time to return. Basically, think of it that way, right? How what is the impact? And how impactful is it? And what's the cost to your organization to do that? Let's assume it's through the roof. Let's assume it's someone like Scripps, who was very honest and open about what happened with them, and they were very much teaching the industry, which I appreciate them and their leadership and their CEO for doing that. You're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars of that more of outage as a business beyond the impact of patient care operations, which is horrific enough. Can you really sustain that on a day over day, month over month? perspective? No, of course not. So 
are are you set up that way? So take a step back before you, you know, for all of you that just listen to the excellent overview of my technical defense and depth strategy and the things to isolate and look at, which are all important. I 100% agree with that. Take a half step back. Look at it from a business operations perspective. Make sure you actually understand what to do when, not what to do if. And last but not least, I, I can't make it more simple enough. You have to, have to, have to hold your vendors and third-party uh, vendors to account. You must, because that is going to be the way they get in, period. Yes, email and yes, human behavior is always going to be an issue forevermore, right? For Even when we have automated cars, people still do dumb things and they take, try to take over Tesla's wheel. The reality is all the artificial intelligence in the world is not going to stop the human behavior, but more importantly, you're going to leave doors open because you have to. We're a hospital. I tell everybody a hospital is no different than a shopping mall. Every single day is different and a different person walks in the front door. Wow. That was incredible. (laughs) No, it's great. It's great because we got all the perspectives. We got Moti's technical overview and perspective, and we got your perspective about and you're right, you handle things much differently in terms of your disaster recovery and your incident response. You handle them much differently when you believe it's going to happen, right? You approach it much differently. And your other point about insurance, which I, I agree with, is uh, you can't play games with your insurance. You can't say you've got things in place and you know, you're just checking off boxes. You're like, I really need to get this insurance because down the road, they're not going to pay. If they demonstrably you didn't have those things in place, that's that that's a unique position they're in. They can somewhat look at your responses, knowing that they can issue the policy and not pay out if you were lying, right, Aaron? That's, right. Yeah. that's that's precisely correct. And your premiums are through the roof. Look, cyber insurance uh, liability policy and umbrella coverage policy. If you can even get it, some states now are starting to limit it. Other states have to back it, almost like hurricane insurance policy. But I'm learning that as I go through Florida, by the way. Um, but to the degree of it, they can they can actually deny it if you don't do the right things. Like example, to get to get hurricane coverage right now in Florida, you have to do a wind inspection. They have to look at the they have to look at your actual roof, the structural integrity of the roof, not just the tiles and whatnot, but like actual inside. How you know what kind of rebar is in there? What kind of uh, you know trusses are in there? What kind of uh, fixtures are in there? You have to do all of that because if your roof blows away, they want to make sure you try to do everything you possibly can. In Texas, we're hit by tornadoes. They sure don't do that here. So everywhere is different. Same with cyber insurance coverage, right? No policy is going to be the same uh, area to area, geography to geography. But they are going to ask for some of the basics. Do you encrypt? Do you track your users and logins? Do you know what's going on where? Do you know your key critical systems? Show me how you audit and do risk assessments. Show me how you comply with HIPAA. All those pieces. We just renewed our cyber insurance uh, coverage at Baptist. I was reading the questions. They're very in-depth. I appreciate that. It actually served as a sanity check for me going, let's find out. Let's go make sure the backups are encrypted, you know, with a rotating key with some large hash and, and, and some serious, you know, uh, algorithm that cannot be decrypted normally. Let's look, right? Show me. So we did. We went through it bit by bit. And so it was another sanity check for me to make sure that we know what we're doing. So if you partner with your, your liability coverage uh, companies, if you partner with your insurance companies, they can absolutely also be a canary in the mind for you to make sure that when something happens, you know how to go about and resolve it. Very good. All right, Pat, let's go to you on this. What are some ransomware incident response best practices? So we talked about sort of prevention. Aaron talked at a high level about response in terms of practicing your disaster recovery, but maybe you can go a little bit more into those incident response best practices. What should the plan include? How often should it be reviewed and rehearsed? Sure. Um, So 
at Loma Linda, we do use um, the NIST guidance on incidence response uh, planning. Um, I forget the, the number for that, um, but if you if you go to the NIST uh, website, you can probably find that uh, look up incident response. And it, you know, it's it's um, a great guide. <clears throat> One of the things that I think is critically important as part of that plan is truly identify um, the roles, right, and responsibilities of uh, the people that are part of this this team, including on the business side, uh, operations, you know, the business operations, right? Because we, at the end of the day, we need them to understand the impact and what we need to do um, to contain and eradicate, right? And, and restore. Um, so, so it's important to have that communication. Communication is so critical uh, during an event like that. And that's why, um, you know, you need to have those tabletop exercises. Um, but I'll say this, that there's nothing like actually responding to uh, an impending attack uh, as a way to <laughs> see what you can do better in your plan. Um, so in fact, um, we were uh, attacked, actively attacked uh, last year. And so we had to invoke our, our plan and we followed our plan. And you know what, it, it actually worked pretty well overall. Uh, we engaged uh, the, the cyber insurance uh, and we already had a forensics uh, company uh, firm uh, with on a retainer. So everything happened very quickly to engage them. And, and so we were fortunate that uh, we, de we detected it in time and prevented uh, the ransomware. Uh, we also prevented any exfiltration uh, of data uh, that they could basically use to extort us. So it, but it was, you know, you feel kind of dirty, I'll put it that way, <laughs> when you find out that someone has come into your house and, you know, poked around and, uh, you know, looked all over the place. And it was not a good feeling. Um, and it's something that I, I don't want to go through uh, again, because basically, you know, you, we had to communicate with the business. Hey, we have to lock things down. Um, good thing. We we're fortunate that we didn't have to, like, bring down our EMR or anything like that. Right. So things continue to operate um, is just uh, that we had to make decisions about, okay, we need to block everything from coming in. Not only need that, we need to block everything from going out because they were actively doing stuff, right? Um, and that's tough because now people are complaining about, um, well, I can't get to the internet, you know, I need to get to the internet to do this. And all we could say is, you know what? Use your cell phone to go to the internet. You need to get to the internet, basically. Um, but it it was very interesting because you can't uh, believe the nitty gritty stuff that, that goes on. I couldn't believe it until it actually happened. So no matter what kind of you know table exercises you do, I think there's always going to be something unique uh, that's going to happen, and you have to be ready to be very quick in making decisions and again communicate with the business um, so that they understand the impact right um and uh i think 
yeah, that, that's really kind of my initial thoughts uh, on that. But the main thing is, yeah, you do need to have a plan. You do need to uh, rehearse it and, and improve uh, uh, on it as, as much as you can. Yeah, Moti, uh, Pat makes excellent point. You know, in in any business, uh, near misses, let's call them, and nobody wants a total meltdown, but near misses can be absolutely invaluable for strengthening your procedures, processes, whatever you're doing. You can just learn so much that you'll never learn just from exercises. Um, so I guess the key is to take those learnings and rework the plan uh, and put those into the plan so it gets better and better. Um, so if you want to address that or, or the general question here about incident response best practices. So, so perhaps I'll try to, to address both of them. You asked about the prevention versus incident response and whether we should separate them. As I see it, um, prevention and incident response should work together, right? Um, if they work together, we get something which is stronger, especially when it comes to ransomware attacks that can progress quite fast. And part of, part of your response strategy is based on barriers and limitations you put in front of the attackers beforehand. And a common best practice is to have controls that limit the impact in case of an attack. For example, limiting the potential to lateral move within the network. Uh, this is where network segmentation comes to play. It also helps us to contain an attack if, if detected, limiting the scope, allowing you to quarantine just one segment instead of shutting down the, the mm -hmm. entire system and so on. And what is nice about the exercise of segmentation policy is that it captures what is normal. So deviations uh, from that could give us an indication of an attack undergoing. So if you have the restrictions in place according to what you understand is normal, um, it gives you some time and opportunities to detect uh, the threat actor uh, doings. Um, because once it's, they are blocked, they might try things. They make more noise. Uh, they make mistakes. And hopefully, this will, will be, uh, we will be able to take advantage of that. Now, uh, I totally agree um, about uh, everything that uh, Patrick uh, uh, said about the, the response plan and the uh, the exercise, the simulation, uh, the lessons that you can learn. Um, I, I think that uh, all these, you know, can help us to, to improve both the plan and the execution once you, you need to address uh, something new and also build confidence, right, in the team's ability to uh, to react to, to respond to things because it might be very scary. Um, you know, some of the stories that we hear about systems starting to be very slow and, you know, now someone speculates that it might be a ransomware attack um, in, uh, undergoing, and you need to have you know confidence that you are doing the right things. Uh, you want to open your playbooks and make sure that um, you're doing everything that, that that should be done. That you have a containment plan uh, that works. That you have complete definitions. For example, what could be quarantined? What could be shut down? Uh, what could be disconnected from the vendor's cloud? in a safe way. Uh, all this, of course, requires planning and, and getting a lot of visibility and context about the, the assets. Very good. Um, Aaron, uh, Moti used a phrase uh, like, open your playbook. Um, and I could picture that you wanting to have um, something like that, the playbooks that have to be open. That's the incident response. Um, you know, as I think, what, what are some of the ways incident response can really go wrong 
I'm thinking one is slow to communicate, slow to action, slow to get word out to the business of what's going on, right? Things are going down and no one knows, but just everyone's calling the help desk. There's no communication coming from IT. Um, so I would imagine that could be one of the issues. The other thing might be that something is going to be relied upon in the playbook. Something is called for to use something and that thing is no longer working. So, oh, a key part of our strategy was to leverage this means of communication. Well, it's out because of the ransomware. Anyway, your thoughts, wherever you want to go with all that. Yeah, so real story. Um, it wasn't ransomware related, but it's exactly what you just said. You suddenly lose key elements of your business. So a couple of lives ago, we had a major power outage at a colo data center that was running our electronic medical record and key systems. Um, and usually you have multiple power feeds feeding into a PDU in a data center that then feeds your systems. Your systems are fed by two different power sources, an A and a B. So that the chances of you losing, completely losing power are next to nothing. Well, there was a substation, apparently this was I was in Dallas, that connected everything way upstream that we had no control over that literally exploded. Like a, a bird flew into a wire, which caused some sort of back feed and just exploded, right? And it was so old. Usually they those substations have an A and a B. It's like this giant metal rod that flips over like this. I guess the metal rod was like rusted or something jammed, oh, no. it didn't flip over. So it didn't completely fail over. So it wasn't enough power feeding either of the legs coming into the data center, which killed power completely. So imagine you're in the middle of the day, right? It's 1030 in the morning, middle of surgery is going on. Is, and, and this is a major, major health system. And suddenly everything just stops. All IT systems stop. I mean, the hospitals still have power individually, but from the data center perspective, feeding out, it went completely dark, right? Just like a ransomware attack, which propagates immediately taking everything out of, out of action, right? So the health system literally came to a screeching halt, right? I mean, you could still do cases on paper. You can still do these things, but to make that flip takes time. Well, you know, our intranet was down, our secure communication tools were down, everything was down. So we're literally resorting to walkie-talkies, we're resorting to cell cellular te telephone calls, trying to get everything back up. I mean, power was out maybe for an hour before we were able to get back up, but the, the process to bring all the systems back and the database corruptions that occurred because everything was killed mid midstream were tremendous. It took weeks to recover from that. Particularly, we had an on-premise at that point exchange farm, which really took a major hit. So, so to the degree of it, Anthony, you're right, you're exactly right. You've got to plan for, and that was like buried section of whatever of the playbook. Like, all right, everything is dark. All of our security tools are dark. Do we even have the phone numbers for everybody that we get to call the hospital presidents? All these folks. But what was the success factor in that? that IT had a place at the table to even have those discussions that this could potentially happen one day, had the trust in the ear of the operations and clinical team to say, if this happens, we're going to do this. And we're able to respond and dispatch and get out information as soon as humanly possible. So it all boils back down to trust. As I always say, healthcare is a transaction of trust. Ransomware and other cybersecurity attacks track attack trust and credibility of you as an IT leader and your organization? And do you have the, the, the cajones to stand <laughs> tall and say, I got it, this is what we're gonna do and you can rally the troops to go, go forward? That's the question you've got to answer. So again, I'm not taking away from any of the technical things that were discussed. I completely agree with all of them. We, we, you know, we are absolutely looking at that. If you don't have confidentiality, integrity, and availability, the triad, and then simply go through each of those dimensions and make sure that you have a way to deal with those. Technically, I pretty much you get the same thing. But more reality is, do you have credibility at the table? Do you talk as an IT person or as a get-it-done business person? Then you can weather any storm that hits you. All right, so you did not feel personally responsible for not checking that AB metal rod failover 
and seeing that it needed some WD-40 sprayed on it. You know what? No, I I, I don't, but I, <laughs> I held accounts and I made very transparent, in a very painful way, the, the Colo data center and the utility company for what happened and made yeah. sure that when we did a when we did an RCA root cause uh, analysis back to our board, that those ch- chief executives came with me and they yeah. explained what how this would never happen again to our board. Like this is the reality, this is the truth, this is the real, transparent, uh-huh. what happened, right? I'm not blaming them. I'm saying this is what happened. We're going to make sure it doesn't happen again. All right. Very good. I want to get in. Uh, we have time probably for one. Ask our co-panelists. So, Moti, I'm going to give you the opportunity to ask these very wise gentlemen a question. I'd love to hear what you'd like to know from them. Um, okay. I, I would love uh, to hear from you, uh, Patrick and Aaron. Um, what keeps you and, and other CISOs, CISOs up at night with regards to ransomware attack preparedness? And how did your priorities change due to that? All right, Patrick, why don't you go first? Well, the good news is, um, and I'm being honest, that, that does not keep me up uh, at night. That's not what keeps me up at night. And the only reason I can say that is because um, we have what I consider a trustworthy uh, program, right? Mm-hmm. To address uh, all levels of uh, a ransomware attack. Um, but having said that, it's because I have trust in the people um, and the technology too, but a lot of times it's the people and the process that we have in place. Um, it's established, we improve it as much as we can. And, you know, it's always, I, I tell this to the board, it's not a matter of if, right, we get attacked. It's a matter of when. And the only reason I can sleep well as, at night is that I do know we have done our due diligence at all levels, at all layers. Um, and again, I go back to that single slide that I talked about. You know, I include supply chain. I include vendors and partners in that slide. Um, that's why... They understand we need and we have an identity access management program. And I like to use the term program. It's not a project. It's Mm -hmm. a program. It's Mm -hmm. ongoing. We have a GRC program, right? So that we can uh, document, we can use a framework, a risk framework. We can report on that. It's uh, a standard best practice uh, framework we use. and show them really help them understand the risk because at the end of the day if if there is a risk out there that i'm not addressing uh or bringing it up to the business that would keep me up at at night because then you know i know something bad is going to happen and we're not doing anything about it but uh that that's kind of where where i have where i am um and i'm glad i'm able to say that you know, I have good support from uh, my senior leaders as well as the folks that are, that are doing the work. When we do have to respond to an incident, right? Everybody rallies together, everybody jumps in. And, and in a sense, I feel very blessed because I'm in an environment where everybody's very supportive and they understand the importance of, uh, of cybersecurity. So it's not just my job, right? As they say, it's everybody's job. Uh, to to be cyber uh, secure. Very good, Aaron. 
what keeps me up at night? Uh, drinking coffee after eight o'clock at night. Um, no, <laughs> the reality is everything is a going concern. But I guess the most important thing is, you know, to make sure that we don't introduce an element that changes the culture inadvertently. It makes us more risk prone without thinking through things logically and transparently. And so we spend a lot of time making sure that, you know, I always tell my, my frontline staff, you know, stop the line, raise your hand. If you see something or you feel something is weird, even if you think it's a dumb question, ask. And you'd be amazed at how many times I get a suggestion from some of the frontline going, hey, why do we do this? You know, could we do it better? That element of always getting better and that stop the line, right, that, 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 that uh, Kaizen uh, methodology, the Toyota TPS model of making sure that any associate can stop the production line, is so, so important. So I usually worry about that. It, it, are we ever going to do something inadvertently which causes folks to fear speaking up? Are we ever going to do something inadvertently that causes folks to feel like, man, if I say this, I may be like fired for it. And as long as the answer is no to that, I sleep pretty good. Culture is the number one way to beat back a cybersecurity risk and to hold to account our vendors and our community. But the one, one of the big reasons I joined back just to begin with, and I left the University of Texas up Austin, my alma mater, is because of the culture. All right, I, I, the Baptist culture is amazing. It's a community organization that's a very large organization. That's a hyper growth mode model led by phenomenal executives that are all in, including on cyber. And so if your culture is that way and is inclusive and it's a very just culture and it asks for stop the line mentality and people believing in each other and pulling for each other, you can only go up from there. Very good. Well, we are almost out of time. Moti, I want to give you a minute for a final thought, final piece of advice to our attendees. Uh, first, it was, it was really an interesting panel to participate in. Um, and I thank you all for the good question and sharing your insights. Um, lots of great insights here. Um, perhaps wrapping up, at least my takeaways, I, I really like Aaron's last comment on, on culture. I truly believe in that. And I also liked uh, Patrick's uh, one one slide, um, mm -hmm. the one that uh, illustrates that the kill chain to the C-suite is something that is is definitely not trivial, um, and I'm sure lots of thought was was put into it. I wish I could see. Um, and uh, I think that um, uh, uh, adding to these two, um, one of the things that I truly believe in for someone who start just starting to perhaps or continuing to work on, on preparedness to, to ransomware is to, to start with the strategy, right? Um, this is what you need to, to start with. And the technology is important, no doubt, and it will follow, of course. But the key to success, in opinion, is to start with the strategy and making sure that everyone uh, is onboarded because it's, a, it's again, it's a, it's a shared effort. Excellent, excellent discussion. That hour certainly went by quickly. Regarding continuing education, you can use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach it out to Nancy Wilcox from our team, and you can go to our website to register for upcoming webinars. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel, our good friend Aaron Meary, our new friend Patrick Voon, um, and Moti Sarani piping in from Israel. We want to welcome you and thank you for joining and thank you CyberMDX for sponsoring and our attendees for viewing. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Bye all. Thank you. Bye.